Hello. I've written a series of books. The series is called Secrets of Better Living, but you may have seen some of these books. One is Secrets of Happiness. Another one is Secrets of Success, Secrets of Friendship, and so on. Well, today I'm going that one better. I'm going to talk on self-realization, secret of everything. And I hope I can justify that title. When I first heard the word self-realization, the word realize to me meant, yes, I realize I should do that, and it didn't make much sense. But since then, I've come to discover that realization has another meaning altogether, which is to say, to discover that this is the situation, to realize your potentials, means to uh, realize not only that you have potentials, but to attain them. And this expression, it's really just about, uh, can be taken as a word, self-realization, has found its way into our language on many, many different levels. We find it in uh, psychology, a person to self-realization uh, self on a psychological level means realizing your potentials, realizing uh, um, those qualities within you that will make you successful, and so on. But the expression actually came from India. And the meaning self-realization has to be taken all the way back to its original meaning. In the Vedas, the Upanishads, the ancient scriptures of that country, of the Hindu religion, the true self of all beings is called the Atman. And that, like the ocean, underlies all the waves of existence, so that your reality and mine is basically the same. To realize ourselves is to realize that deeper self, not the superficial self that we have when we uh, work with our personality, but a deeper self. Our personality is something that we either borrow from other people or that we develop in reaction to outer things, outer challenges. It's not at all who we really are. The, uh, I'll, I'll never forget a couple of children. The children used to go across our property many years ago on their way to grade school. And there were two of these little children, I would guess five and six, something like that. And there was a little boy about uh, six years old, I suppose. And this little girl was maybe, oh, uh, 10 yards ahead of him, something like that. And the little boy probably had been seeing a John Wayne movie. Anyway, anyway, he called out to this little girl with his little piping voice. He said, come here. And she turned around. She said, I'm, I'm not coming with you, Johnny, something like that. And he said, I said, come here. <laughs> and it sounded so funny coming from that little body and that little voice. And yet, grown-up people also must look like children to the infinite consciousness, to God. We're all children before him. And how like children we behave in imitating our opinions, our values, our mannerisms. There's a funny thing my dad used to do with a glass, uh, uh, that he'd put a glass of water, let's say, to his lips, 
and he'd take it away off to the side like this. Now, I don't know if it's the way my arm is made. Maybe we both have to do it because our arms are made that way, but I do exactly the same thing. Whether I do it because of physiological convenience or necessity, or whether I copied him as a little boy and just never thought of doing anything else, I don't know. But it's certainly a fact that we copy a great deal of who we finally end up thinking, this is me. If you could get away, sort of like peeling an onion, if you could get away from yourself, just strip off all these layers of opinion and habit, if you had been born in India, you would have a taste for all their ways of thinking and doing. And being born in America, you think the way we do, and you think maybe that's the only way to do things. But uh, the same basic human being, I've done a lot of traveling in my life. And I've seen that underlying all the apparent differences of culture, there are the same basic needs. Everybody wants good food, friendship, love, happiness peace. People define these things in different ways, but the definitions are not the reality. Everybody loves sugar, but some people like it in the form of, of a sugar cube, other people in the form of honey, and so on. And everybody wants the same basic things because they're a part of our deeper nature, but how we express that nature is the superficial part. So when I speak of self-realization, I'm taking you back to that ancient tradition, thousands of years old, which says that there is an underlying self, written with a, a large S. And that underlying self is who you really are once you've stripped away all the false uh, superficial aspect of your temporary being that makes you think you're an American or a Frenchman, that makes you think you're a man or a woman, that you're young or old or artistic or mercenary or whatever it might be. None of those are your true self. Get rid of those things and more and more you come down to a little germ of self-awareness. Descartes got it all wrong when he said, I think, therefore I am. The truth of it is, I am, and therefore I think. The sense of being is not something we arrive at as a logical deduction from the fact that we're able to think. It's something we have all the time. It's something that the lowest little insect has, even though he doesn't reason his way to that conclusion. It's a sense of self-awareness that is born of intuition. The intuitive faculty is the real knowing, it's the total knowing, it's that part that comes from our higher self. And although that higher self is, is really only uh, open for development or a realization to human beings, nevertheless, even the smallest worm has some sense of that, because all of us are a part of that same infinite reality. You see, there are two ways of looking at things. Not only outward and inner, the outward shows you a world of great complexity, the inner shows you a central point to which everything is tied. But also we can look at it from an upper and a lower. The lower is that sort of Darwinian push, you might say, the struggle for survival, but it has to be more than that, that uh, the human brain is 
I think, three times larger than the largest known brain outside the human being. And uh, we wouldn't need a brain that large merely to survive. All we'd need is enough low cunning to be able to avoid some predator that had a little less cunning. But there's something else that I think has caused the evolution of the brain, and that is that we, all of us, have within us this longing to get back home, this longing to know who we really are, and this longing to realize that self. Now, why have I said that self-realization, realizing who you are in your deepest nature as a spark of the infinite, why do I say that's the key to everything? Well, let's look at it again another way. Science in the last few centuries has demolished the old concept that the world was the center of the universe. First of all, it was thought that the world was, uh, that, the, uh, that the sun was the center of the universe and the world was merely going around the sun. And then as they found more and more suns, more and more stars, they discovered that the sun was really just a, uh, one of a large number. And finally, they've come to the point of realizing that the sun is really a very ordinary star as far as magnitude goes. It's on the outskirts of only one of maybe hundreds of billions of galaxies. And so the thought of anything being the center of the universe is ridiculous. In fact, that's the, one of the charges they level against astrology because it's all sort of geocentric. It ought to be at least solar-centric. It ought to be centered the way our, our solar system is set up. But you know, human seeking, human growth in understanding always seems to be cyclic. It goes in a whole circle, and we're coming back to uh, the beginning of that cycle. And we're beginning to discover that astrology itself is not all that unsophisticated. Because in a, in a universe in which there is no center, Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda, in his great book, Autobiography of a Yogi, made a very interesting statement when he said that divine sight is center everywhere, circumference nowhere. Anything you can say about the universe is center everywhere, circumference nowhere. In a universe that has no center, everything is center. And to take it one step further, everything can be explained in relation to that center. In other words, you are the center of this universe as far as your understanding of it is concerned. You can never understand anything except in relation to that center. A very interesting experience that uh, Yogananda describes in that same book, Autobiography of a Yogi, is a mystical experience which great mystics down through the ages have tried to express and not been able to. Ramakrishna, the great sage in the 19th century in Bengal in India, would try to describe different stages of consciousness and he'd reach uh, a certain stage when he would not be able to go on talking. 
because the energy would be withdrawn. There was nothing further to be said about it. Buddha didn't talk about that stage because it was so far beyond human understanding. He talked in terms of where people are right now and what they can do about it. In relation to the, the whole history of mystical writing, if you read Autobiography of a Yogi with that thought in mind, uh, it's astounding to see what Yogananda did in that simple little description. He stated with a clarity that's never been given before what that experience is like. But one very interesting he, a statement he made in that book was, I cognized the center of that cosmic empyrean as a point of intuitive perception in my own heart. Even in that state, the saint, the master, the sage, realizes everything from his center outward. And that's what makes self-realization the key to everything. Because in terms of where you are, you can come to understand and also to gain control of, according to your needs, the world around you. You can't do it in outward terms. It's just like shifting sand. You build over here and next year the sand's moved and your house has collapsed. But if you will understand things from your center, it's interesting how we in our uh, vaunted 20th century so-called wisdom, think that all other cultures who th saw things differently were only superstitious. We're just as superstitious as any others. It's just that we agree to the same superstitions. But you will find that, interestingly enough, if you look at other civilizations with a completely different view of uh, reality, that they've been able to not only see things in relation to that vision, but they've actually been able to make the world work according to that vision. They had a right vision according to their context, and everything they did worked well for them. And what we see is by no means the last word. A hundred years ago, scientists were absolutely confident that they, that they would discover before too long the final verities as applied to the world as it could be understood. Now they have no further thought of finding truth. It's not possible. Truth depends on how you look at it. Truth depends on where you're coming from. You can come from a million different directions and see truth in a million different ways. And an interesting thing is that countries, for example, that have specialized in magic have been able to make that magic actually work. The Chinese had an idea that you had to make the countryside aesthetically perfect. And if there was a mountain that wasn't aesthetic, they'd cut it down as, uh, well, I don't know if they could do it with big mountains, but with hills, or they would create hills in order to create a truly aesthetic landscape according to their uh, understanding of aesthetics. And in fact, they found that in that kind of a countryside, the country itself gave them peace that it created harmony in civilization. The emperors of China, back many, many centuries ago, when they went visiting the provinces, they didn't bother to ask the people running those provinces to show them their accounts. They didn't ask for the local gossip to see who was trying to get even with whom, who was jockeying for position to become the governor of that province, to see whether the the officials were honest. He didn't bother with any of that. You know what he did? 
he checked to see that their music was in the right order. His belief, and it worked for them, was that if the music was right, everything else would flow properly from that. When the music went wrong, people would become dishonest, people would become disharmonious, everything would start to go wrong. And so he, according to his knowledge, he knew that if the music was right, then people would be honest, truthful, everything else would be and would function in harmony. Now that's a worldview that's very different from ours, isn't it? But it worked for them. And who's to say who's right and who's wrong? With all our vaunted knowledge, what have we accomplished? Yes, we have, we have airplanes. Yes, we put somebody on the moon. Yes, you can see me talking here in my living room and it reaches your home. But have you solved the problems of peace of mind and happiness and how to get along with your neighbors and how not to become suicidal or uh, have a nervous breakdown or uh, all the various things that go wrong? You can have an airplane pilot who has ulcers and you can have a camel driver who has ulcers. But when we deal with human reality, it isn't these outward things that count. It's who we are. And that comes back to self-realization. If you can realize who you really are, then you have a conscious link to this universe around you. And you can actually make that universe because the universe is not merely something that you look at. Say you look at it with rose-colored glasses and therefore everything looks rose. Look at it with green-colored glasses, everything looks green. It's not just that. It's as you see the world, so the world actually behaves towards you. You can see this on a human level, that when you treat people nicely, they treat you nicely. When you smile at others, they smile back, unless they're really grouches. Um, if you're a grouch, people are likely to reflect that grouchiness. That's fairly obvious. People who are conscious will react according to your consciousness. But don't you know that this whole universe is conscious? And this world will react according to your consciousness. If you have negative expectations of life, then life will treat you in a negative way. And if you have positive expectations, I used to have a theory and I made it work for me. If you want to be lucky, don't wait for luck to come to you. Go out and meet it halfway in the full expectation that you will be lucky and you'll always be lucky. As I say, I made that work. So in your life, Keep this thought always in mind, to live from your center, live outward from that center, and you will see that the universe will not only be colored by what you see, but it will react to you and cooperate with you in terms of how you look, how you think, and above all, in terms of who you are.